Today's scripture reading comes from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of God. In a couple of weeks, God willing, um, the director of Expect Hope, this wonderful ministry that we just had the opportunity to pray for, will be here with us to share about that ministry and, and let us know ways that we can support and, uh, and, and, and better come alongside. Um, and if you want to know more about that ministry, just, uh, just hold up a bit. I won't tell you more. You'll learn more when she comes. And so, as Johnny reads these last two verses to us, Thus ends the letter of James. And uh, we've been studying this book for over 15 sermons, believe it or not, and here we are at the very end. And as we get into this last study in this book, I, I have a confession to make, and it may seem kind of random, but New Hope, I am awful at ending a conversation. I'm really bad at it. So if you and I have sat together over lunch or, or coffee, and, and you ended up spending a lot more time sitting at that table than, than you anticipated, uh, please forgive me. I'm not making eye contact because I, I feel like some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, if you've ever felt stuck talking to me for too long, I'm, 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 I'm sorry for that. Uh, it, it's difficult sometimes to end a conversation, but I think, and I think it's safe to say that James, the author of this letter, didn't have that same problem. His, communica his communication style is, is pointed, it's succinct. You might even call it abrupt. And, and the end of this letter is no exception. He just stops. There's no final greetings or blessings like we find in many other New Testament letters. Instead, what we get from James is, is just one last bit of instruction. In, in one sentence. It can come off in, as, as terse, in fact, but we need to see that there is so much love in these words. He starts off this way, my brothers. And, and that would, by the way, be understood to include sisters too when he, when he writes those words. And when he calls his readers my brothers, he's saying, we're family. You and I are connected. He actually uses that term, my brothers, 15 times in this whole letter. And, and each time he's telling his readers, listen, because of our shared faith in Jesus Christ, we have been brought into this eternal bond together. We've been brought into a new family. And now we have this new covenant relationship with, with God and with each other. If you've truly believed in Jesus Christ, then God is our father, and you are my brother, my sister. We are family, James is saying. And so because he loves his brothers and sisters, he ends his letter with, with these words, heavy words, in fact, about straying from the truth. Look at what he says again in James 5, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and, and someone brings them back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering 
will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So to get at what James is is saying here, we're going to ask two simple questions. In this passage, first question is this, who's doing the wandering here? And the second question is, who's doing the rescuing? So first of all, who's wandering here? Who is wandering from the truth? James is talking to believers in Jesus Christ. He's made that clear earlier in the letter. And and he says, if anyone among you, so so it's not just believers, followers of Jesus Christ. He's not just talking to his brothers and sisters. He's saying anyone among you, brothers and sisters. It's it's anyone who's, who's maybe connected to the fellowship of believers, who's connected to the community in some way. You see, these folks who stray away from the truth, they may on the one hand be dedicated, true followers of Jesus, or they can also be people who identify themselves as believers, who who look, at least they once looked, like believers, but now they're drifting. And, And as they drift further and further away from what they claim to believe, the authenticity of their faith is coming into question. It's becoming more and more doubtful. So in verse 20, he calls this wandering person a sinner. And it's not a pejorative. He's not insulting them. He's saying the sinner is simply someone who is sinning. It's simply someone who's straying from truth and buying into lies, straying away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been around New Hope Fellowship for any length of time, I hope you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just from here, but in other contexts within this community. The gospel of Jesus Christ can be communicated from, from different angles and in so many different ways, but, but here's one way to look at it. You can look at it under the four headings of God, humanity, Christ, and response. It starts with God, humanity, Christ, and response. You see, the gospel is the truth that, that there's a perfect God who created and sustains the universe and everything in it that we can see and that we can't see, including humanity. He sustains us and he made us. He made you and he gave you life. But like every person before you, tracing back even to the very first people, you and I, we've we've sinned against God. You and I, instead of loving him as our creator and our king, we've, we've all, in, in subtle or not so subtle ways, we've rejected his rule. We, we've rejected his wisdom. We've rejected his love. So that all of us, all of humanity, has chosen to run our own lives, to, according to our own best judgments, without him. But God... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, oh, how he loved us. And because he loved us, he did the unthinkable. He moved toward us in ways that that no one could have expected. He actually took on humanity. All the weakness all of the suffering, all of the pain that humanity knows, he knows it. He took it on, and he did, he did it all with, with beautiful perfection. No sin. But then he went further than that. He, 
He drew in closer. He, he was willing to be judged as a criminal, a liar, a fraud. You see, he even took on the guilt for our sin. And because the penalty of sin is death, it always has been. The Bible tells us so. He died in my place, in the place of everyone who would ever, ever humble themselves enough to simply respond this way by repenting. And repenting doesn't mean turning your life around completely, turning over a new leaf. No, it means turning away from all those attempts to run your own life according to your own best judgment without him, running from his love, and simply believing that he is who he claimed to be. He's not just Jesus the carpenter, but he's Jesus the Christ, the, the Savior of the world. The, the Bible, you know, he calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us, God among us. He became like us to rescue us, and it cost him his life. Because he's not just fully human, but he's also fully God, he was able to take his life back. And he did that. He, he defeated death and he rose to life again. And, and, and when he did that, he proved that if you will receive him for who he is as Lord and King, he will, in the words of James, save your soul from death and give you eternal life. It's the gospel. It's, it's the truth that, that millions have staked everything on, and many in this, in this room today have staked everything on. And, and if you've heard that truth, as you just did, that means that God himself has, has placed all of that before you. And he's saying, don't walk away from this truth. Don't, don't just wander away. Pause. Hover over it. Spend some time thinking about it. At the very least, ask some questions about it. At the very least, ponder it. But more than anything, he's saying, stay here and stake your life right here. Don't wander away from this truth. It is uh, very hard, and maybe increasingly hard, to differentiate facts that are real from facts that are not real. So you know and I know that depending on your news source, you're, you're hearing various versions of the truth, quote-unquote. The different truths about the virus epidemic, uh, different truths about poll results, um, about the state of the economy, even different truths about which phone you should upgrade to. Because be between the, the advertisers trying to sell us stuff and, and the, the, the politicians trying to get our vote and, and news agencies who just want us to keep watching... <laughs> It feels like there's really no one we can believe. It's also confusing. And so over the clamor of all those voices, we need to hear the voice of God, the God who made us. Because he's not trying to sell us anything. And he's not trying to get something from us. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to cover shame. He wants to take all the guilt that you're carrying away. He wants to give you eternal life, the eternal life that humanity was made to experience and lost when we rejected God. 
See, our Creator God is setting the gospel of Jesus Christ out for you and saying, don't walk away. Stay close. This is truth. You can trust it. You can bank your life on it. Don't wander from it. And this, this wandering imagery that James uses, you, you can look at it in a couple of ways. One, 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 one way to look at it, maybe this is the first thing that comes to mind, you can think of the truth as a path, right? And, and, and God's saying, don't wander from that path. So God gives us the gospel, and in places like James, he, he tells us how to walk according to this gospel, in light of it. In places like Psalm 86, we read words like this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. You see, truth is a path that we walk on. John, in 3 John, says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. They're staying on that path. So the truth is a path, and it leads to life. And when we wander, we're veering from safety. We're veering from the path that leads to life. We're veering towards destruction. That's one way to think about this. And there's another way to think about this. Think of truth as a person. You see, truth is not just a path. Truth is also a person. Jesus said to him, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. You say, Jesus didn't just say, I have truth for you. He said, I am truth. I am the truth. So when we wander, we're walking away from a person. We are walking away from the safety and care of Jesus. When we wander from the gospel, you're not just wandering from the teachings that your uh, Sunday school teacher gave you when you were little. You're not just walking away from the things that maybe your pastor or your, your family taught you. You're not just wandering away from what your community believes. You are wandering away from a person, Jesus himself, the lover of your soul, the one who gave himself for you, the one who's loved you more than anyone ever will. We're walking away from the safety and the care of Jesus, not like a kid at Target who, who wanders away from his mom into the shelves and under the racks, and he's gone. You, you can't find him. He was safe. Not anymore. Or even worse, even worse, the, 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 the wanderer is like a person who who strays from their spouse, strays from their marriage, strays away to get love somewhere else, strays away from faithfulness to go find affection and love from someone else than this one who calls himself the truth. You see, this is, this is, this is not too much of a stretch. What I'm saying here, because remember, earlier in James chapter 4, James calls wanderers adulterous people. Why do you think he uses that word? Adulterous people, because you're not just wandering away from a person like a kid at Target, you're wandering away from a person like a cheating spouse. So that's what's going on here when we wander. We veer from walking in the truth, and we stray away from Jesus, the truth. Those, are, those aren't competing ways to think about this. These are, these are complementary, two ways to, to internalize this that can help us understand what's going on in our hearts when we wander. 
Now, I want to share something with, with each person here who would say, I believe the truth of the gospel. Brothers and, and sisters, I'm talking to you as one of you. And, and let's be honest about something. There are so many ways that you and I can wander from the truth. And there are so many ways that we do wander from the truth. I know heartbreaking stories of people who once claimed to love Jesus and claimed to believe the truth of the gospel, and they have abandoned all of it. And they consider the gospel a sham. Or, or, or some, I know stories of some who have just, they, they've just jettisoned, they've just walked away from certain core tenets of the truth, of the gospel. They've convinced themselves that what God calls truth can't be trusted, not fully, and so they walked away. But wandering, it doesn't always look like that. It's not always just intellectual wandering. I've stopped believing that. I'm thinking differently now. It's not just that kind of wandering that happens. Sometimes it's intellectual. Sometimes it's moral wandering. I still kind of believe that, but my life doesn't reflect that. There's a gap between the way I'm living and what I claim to believe. And sometimes it goes together, and often is the case, and maybe you've seen examples of this, where the moral wandering starts, and then it leads to the intellectual wandering later. So we start to live in a way that's not in keeping with what we claim to believe, and that the more we keep living that way, the more we keep pushing out, away from the path, away from Jesus, what starts to happen is we stop believing that he's real after all. Intellectually, we now have a problem even thinking that the gospel's true. Wandering can look so many different ways. In fact, it can, it can look sometimes so subtle, like, like we're barely even drifting. Right? Like you're, you're, just, you're, you're, on the, you're on the parkway, and, and you just kind of get a little too close to that. So maybe you swerved a little bit into that other lane. That's okay. You know what I do? When I start swerving accidentally into the next lane, I just turn on my blinker. Like, I meant to do that. I, that's just, just keep going. I don't want to swerve back. That's embarrassing, you know? So. But every time we wander, sometimes it, it just it looks so subtle. I, let me give you an example. Every time we start to value something or someone more than we value God, or, or every time we start to... to, to Try to get our needs satisfied by, by things that can't satisfy us. Or every time we start chasing after the approval of people, walking away from the truth that God approves of us, that he loves us in Christ, in the gospel. And, and there's so many other ways that we wander subtly. But sometimes it looks more drastic, doesn't it? Like, like you're turning hard away from what God says is good. It's, it's an intentional swerving. It's a hard right away from what God says is life-giving and true and towards sin that he calls destructive. So either way, whether it's subtle or it's drastic, a, a sinner's tendency is to wander. <laughs> and that's us. It, our tendency is to forget the goodness of God and, and to look for satisfaction in things and comfort <laughs> from sources other than the lover of our souls. We become unfaithful wanderers. We become foolish kids who just walk away. 
James may have and probably has more drastic kinds of wandering in mind here. That's probably what he's urgently addressing. But the fact is that wandering can be subtle, almost unnoticeable. But it makes sense for us to ask ourselves, am I wandering? Am I wandering? And to ask the Lord to show me, am I wandering, Lord? Search my heart and see if there's wandering in here. And, and, and if there is, and lead me back, lead me in the way everlasting. Where am I ignoring the truth that you've shown me, Lord? Where's this happening? Where, where are you trying to drown out the truth that God has shown you? Distract yourself from it. What lies have I started to tell myself? What lies have I started believing? These are good questions to ask ourselves because Jesus here is calling you back. He's calling us back now. And and it's the voice of love. He's not saying getting back in line. He's saying come back home. A hymn that some of you know has a line that goes like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's some honest writing here. So many hymns we sing and we feel like we need to build ourselves up to even, to even say it honestly. Like, can I even really say this? Can I even voice this kind of commitment to Jesus? And we say it and we say, Lord, make it real in my heart. Make me love him the way I'm singing I love him. But this, I feel like I could sing this with no effort. This is so true. It's always true. I am prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. I'm prone to lead the, God, the Lord, the God I love. And so, and so I think it's wise for us to come to him and ask, why am I prone to do that, Lord? What am I after, Lord? Show me what I'm after. What, what do I believe that you can't give me? I believe you can't give it to me, so I'm going elsewhere for it. And take that to the Lord and, and ask him to show you. That's a starting place for returning to the truth. But the fact is that getting back to the truth is not a solo effort. It's not just you in prayer with God. Not always, at least. James is calling us to something else. So the second question we're asking here is, who does the restoring? Who restores? If we all wander, who is it that can bring us back? And we do all wander. Some of you, when you ask, you know, I ask that question, who is it that restores us? Some of you, especially if you grew up in Sunday school, you're like, Jesus. Because that's always the answer. It's always 99% of the time that's going to be the correct answer if you were well-trained as a child in church like I was. But James actually approaches this differently. In verse 19, he says, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, he's not saying God brings him back and Jesus, but he says if someone brings him back, and it's pretty clear he's telling us that someone in the community, in the church, someone among you is meant to bring that person back. And it's not necessarily a pastor or elder. He doesn't, he doesn't say that earlier. He says, if you're sick, call the elders to come. They'll pray over you. They'll anoint you with oil. He doesn't say that here. He says, someone, anyone among you, if someone brings them back. If you, members of New Hope Fellowship, that's you. That's me too. It's it's you, followers of Jesus. And that is such a serious responsibility. Is there someone who's wandering who comes to mind for you? 
Maybe you were already thinking about them before you even walked in here today, or maybe they've just come to mind now. Is there someone on your heart, someone in your mind who's wandering and you know it, and you see their face, and you know their story, and, and, it, and it wrecks your heart because you, you know where they're heading, and maybe you're afraid for them. And maybe you prayed for them, but, but you also feel helpless. I read James 5, 19 to 20, and I think, Lord, you are asking me to do something that only you can do. I can't bring anyone back. Only you can bring someone back. And then as if that's not heavy enough, in verse 20, he says, let him that whoever bring, let, oh, excuse me, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So listen, he's saying this to you, Christian, follower of Christ, when you direct, redirect, and restore someone who's drifted off, you are saving that person's soul from death. And he says, you're covering a multitude of sins. And that's the best way to understand what that means. It's not you cover up your own sins, but that, that when you restore that person, you are covering up a multitude of their sins. Now, maybe you read that and you say, what? How in the world could that be possible? Only God can save. Only God can cover sin. I can't do that. And that's right. That's absolutely true. And only God can powerfully call back the person that you love. The person that maybe you're thinking of, the person who maybe is heavy on your heart, you're burdened, you're anxious, you're anxiety-ridden for them because you want to see them back safe in Jesus, with him, on the path, but they're wandering. Only God can powerfully call that person back, but here's how he does it. He uses you. So James is saying, he restores his children by using his other children. He restores people to the community by using the community. He works through you. He works through me. He works through us. I heard one pastor recently used an, uh, an example that at first I thought it was corny, and I thought, well, I actually like it. It kind of works. He says, he says a lumberjack goes into a, uh, this, this isn't very relevant for our context, I understand, but in any case, we'll understand. A lumberjack goes into the woods and chops down tree and what does he use? He uses an axe and we might say that axe cut down the tree. The axe cut down the tree but really the axe was just in the hands of the lumberjack who cut down the tree. The lumberjack uses the axe and in some way, it's an inadequate analogy for sure, we are the ones that save, that, that can bring back the wandering person and yet, really, it's God who's working in us and through us to do it. In fact, he so works through you that James can say, you've saved her. You've brought him back. And maybe we read that and we say, yeah, yet, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yes. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. But James says, you're doing it. You're doing it. And, and the last part of that is most beautiful because, because look at look at. What are you calling that person back to when you're calling them back? You're, you're calling back to the gospel, aren't you? When you call someone back who's wandering, you're calling them back to Jesus. So you're calling them back to, to receive forgiveness, that free, earned forgiveness, that grace. That's what you're calling them back to. You're calling them back to the only one who can cover their sin. 
And, and cover their sin doesn't just mean hide it, like put a blanket over it. It means cover it forever. Cover it so that God himself, God himself will not look at it. Better yet, look at it this way. It covers it like you cover a bill. Cover payment. You take care of it. I'll take care of that expense. And so he covers a multitude, all of the sins of the one who's wandering, and he does it through you when you call that person. And your agency in that is so significant, right? You're not passive. Your agency is so significant that James can actually say, you're covering a multitude of sins. That's incredible. Because when you call them back to Jesus, you're, you're bringing them back to the one who can effectively, eternally cover their guilt with his righteousness. If you see your family members drifting, maybe your friends drifting, your fellow church members, you, you see your child drifting, leaving truth behind, losing their grip on truth, here's how we cover a multitude of sins. Here's how we bring them back, by reminding them of the gospel that covers sin, by reminding them of the love of a Savior who died for sinners like them, by loving them with his love, and by talking to them, telling them about that loving Savior who died, knowing full well, he died knowing full well how prone they would be to wander. He died knowing full well what a hard time we'd have staying close. As Isaiah 53, 6 says, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, so what does Jesus do when he sees the wanderer? He takes the, the sin, he takes all of it, the guilt of the wanderer, and puts it on himself. Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew, the Son of Man came to seek and save. He's going after wanderers to rescue and restore them. You see, God is not the angry dad sitting on the couch fuming, waving for his kids who are wandering out past curfew. And dad's sitting on the couch waiting for that kid to walk in because when he gets in, he's going to get it. No, God is the father who welcomes the wanderer back. He knows you've wandered before. But you know what he'll do if you'll turn back and head home? James 4, 6 tells us what he'll do. This is how he meets you when you humble yourself and return back. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see who he opposes? He opposes the person who's too proud to turn back to the truth to come back and receive the mercy of the gospel. But if you humble yourself and come back, he has more grace for you. Even if you, you're coming back again, more grace for you. You see, how, how, can, how can you and I bring someone who's wandering back to the truth of the gospel? It's with the truth of the gospel. And how can we call someone back to Jesus? It's by pointing them back to Jesus, to his words. His deeds for them. 
In fact, Jesus is the one who's pursuing the person that you love, the person that you're anxious about and you're worried about, maybe even right now. God in Christ is the one who's pursuing him. He's just working through you to do it. He's the one who's calling that person you love home. Will you, will you be used by him? Will you willingly step in and be used by him to call that loved one back home, back to Christ? Brothers and sisters, we get to engage in this kind of, of rescue effort with confidence that the Spirit of God will work through us. So what keeps us from doing this? What keeps us from actively and urgently trying to restore the person that we love who's wandering? Sometimes maybe, maybe we don't love them enough. Maybe we're just, we don't have time for that. We've got our own troubles and this is, you know, the Western world, and we're independent individuals, free agents. We worry about ourselves. You do you, I do me. I take care of my own wandering. You take care of yours. Is it possible that we've adopted that kind of mindset? I'm not my brother's keeper, right? Is it possible? Maybe. Or maybe in some cases we love the person who's wandering so much, and yet, and yet we won't step in, and there's a fear of doing it. And, and here's what may be going on. And so we start saying, well, well God will bring them back. I'll wait patiently and God will bring them back. And there's nothing wrong with waiting patiently, but James seems to be calling us here not just to waiting patiently, but to pursuing patiently. So what keeps us from doing it? Maybe, maybe it's fear. Just yesterday, I was in a small group discussion, a study, and, and we were trying to identify barriers that, that keep us from sharing the gospel with people who don't yet believe the gospel. And one of the barriers that, to sharing the gospel that, that a few people shared um, including me, was this. It's the fear that if we try to share the gospel, it'll, it'll harm the relationship or, or it'll change the relationship. In fact, we might even do a bad job and scare them away from the gospel, push them further away. It, so, so these are some fears that keep us from sharing the gospel. And New Hope, I think this, this same fear can keep us from calling back people we love who are walking away from Jesus. We're afraid if we call back that person in our family, that child, that, that parent, that, that loved one, that friend, that fellow church member, that person in your care group, in your discipleship group, if I start trying to call them back to the gospel, if I, if I start talking to them about their wandering and how dangerous it is, it's going to change this relationship. It might hurt the relationship. I might even end up pushing them away because half the time, I don't know what I'm talking about. I might screw it up. But James is telling us to, to walk forward in, in confidence, trusting that the Spirit will work through you. Yes, if someone is a genuine believer in, in Jesus Christ, God will keep them to the end. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not up to you alone to stay believing till the end. God will keep you. Jesus said it. He said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father who has given them to me, my, my father who has given my followers to me, he is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He will hold me fast. We just sang it. No matter how weak our faith gets, no matter what temptations look like, he will hold me fast. That's absolutely true. And he will do the same for any person who's truly his. But listen, he is calling us to be the people through whom he does that, to partner with him, 
to be used by him to hold others fast. You see, God will preserve all who are his to the end, but he also calls each one to persevere. So if you're a Christian, you must believe God will keep me. He'll preserve me, but he's also called me to persevere. We get both truths in the Bible, right? Jesus said, no one will snatch him out of the Father's hand. Paul says, run the race. Jesus himself says, it is he who perseveres to the end who will be saved. So he preserves, we persevere. In fact, it's through our persevering that he preserves us. And it's because of his preserving power that we're able to persevere. God's work and ours, they both matter and they both work together. They both intersect and intertwine in a way that I can't explain. And, and frankly, I don't think anyone can explain. But we can say this, we are responsible to keep repenting, to keep believing, to keep running the race. But then there's a responsibility of others to help us do that, to keep calling us back. And it's our responsibility to help others do that too. To help them walk in truth and, and to get them back when they start veering. We can't be bystanders. Whether it's our children or whether it's our friends, our fellow church members, and there's increasing levels of responsibility, of course, here, right? You're not equally responsible for all your friends and your responsibility if you have kids, your responsibility for your children certainly supersedes your responsibility for your friends, or your neighbors. So, so we have to kind of gauge where our responsibilities kind of lie priority-wise. But nevertheless, there's some measure of responsibility for the people God's put in your life. And what God calls us to be is active. In fact, the name of the series has been Faith in action, and this, isn't, this is faith in action. It's faith in action when we say, I believe that you can restore, God, so I will work to restore. I believe that you can restore, so I will work to restore this person. And there's no doubt that this can be done really badly. Maybe you've seen it done very badly. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that firsthand. Bringing, trying to bring someone back, and it, it just doesn't go well. Because maybe you're over-eager, or you're self-righteous or you're judgmental, or you're too critical. Look, bringing someone back isn't about policing them or, or nitpicking or constantly correcting every failure or calling out every sin. He's not calling us to be police. Some of us, maybe we are too eager to, to confront, <laughs> while others are on the other end of the spectrum. They're, they're too, too hesitant to confront and call back. But if we're going to do this well, and we need to be committed to the slow process of restoration. We need to be committed to long-haul commitment. Helping someone not just see that what they're doing is wrong, but helping someone undo the damage that their sin has caused them and caused others. Help them fight addictive behaviors, to help them grow, to believe the truth of the gospel, or believe it once again. It involves warning them about sin. It also involves emphasizing how willing Jesus is to forgive and to heal and to give more grace. And that takes patience and it takes discernment. It takes the Spirit of God. Yeah. And, and we, we, cannot, we cannot rush into people's lives, you know, like, like over-eager lifeguards bent on rescuing someone, whether or not they want to be rescued. Like, I'm going to save you, I'm going to bring you back. 
It's no wonder that in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, when you rescue, you must rescue a brother or sister who's straying, he says, do it gently. And he says, do it carefully, lest you fall into temptation. You see, because there's all kinds of temptations that I can fall into trying to help my brother, my sister, my friend get back to Jesus, get back on track. I can fall into the temptation of self-righteousness. You know how that feels, right? Why can't you be more like me? Look how well I'm walking in the truth. Why can't you fight sin the way I do? I don't have these struggles. Or we can fall into the temptation of just losing hope and faith altogether. This is not going well. This person's hopeless. I'm, I'm hopeless at this. Yes, we need. And, and beyond that, really, and I need to say this, how do we even know who it is that we're called to restore? Because <laughs> like I said, we have all these different relationships, differing levels of responsibility for people in our lives. How do we even discern this? We, God does not want to overburden you with the sense of responsibility that, 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 that makes you feel like everyone around you is wandering. It's your job to bring them all back. No, he's talking to a community of people, and he's saying that if we're all seeking to do this faithfully, by the power of the Spirit, he will guide us to do it in such a way that we're not burning ourselves out and overburdening ourselves with anxiety about others, but instead we're joyfully caring for the ones that he guides us and leads us to care for, and trusting that other brothers and sisters are going to care for the other brothers and sisters in the community and for the other non-believers in the community that are, that, are, that are connected to that fellowship. Maybe there are certain faces that come to mind, like I said, and, and perhaps those are the people that God is calling you to seek to restore. Maybe there are certain names. And, and you can't get away from the fact that God, God seems to be tugging at you and calling you to pursue that person, even, even at the risk of damaging the relationship in the short term, to secure the relationship in the long term. More than that, to restore the relationship with God. We need patience and discernment from the Spirit. We need a wisdom that comes from above if we're going to walk this out. So in just a few minutes, we're going to take time to pray. Once we end here, we're going to, we're going to ask the Lord to, to direct our minds and hearts toward someone that may need our help. And we can also, in that moment, we can start bringing people in our lives that are wandering to the Lord. Bring them up to Him. And that can include ourselves if we're the ones wandering, but also the people we love. People whose trajectory, um, either we've been ignoring it lately or, or maybe we've been filled, filled with fear when we think about where their lives are headed. And we're desperate to see the Lord rescue. So we're going to pray and we're going to bring those people to the Lord. But for now, so ends the letter of James. And maybe it is an abrupt, abrupt ending. But it, but it leaves us to ask, what, do, what are we going to do with what we've read in this letter? Remember all the way back in James 1.22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word 
and not hearers. And he's calling us to do that, to walk out what we've seen, not deceive ourselves. And some, one of the ways we deceive ourselves sometimes is by we, we, we look at truth in God's word. We look at what he's calling us to do and we say, that's helpful. That's good. That's important. And then we walk away and forget it. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that we were helped by that. We weren't really helped. Not really. Just reminded of some things, but then we just kind of walked away from them. If we're truly going to be helped by what God says, then we're going to have to become doers of that word. So how will the truth packed in this letter, all five chapters, shape the way, affect the way that we live out our faith in Jesus? That's a question, one of the questions I want us to ask as we walk away from this letter and trust and trust that if we seek to walk out active faith the way that God is calling us to in this letter, we're not going to feel more burdened, more burnt out. We're going to feel more joy. We're going to experience more intimacy with him. We're going to experience more of his presence and, and the happiness and the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for pursuing wanderers like us. And we know that James here, he's been aiming to keep us from wandering and to call us back when we do. But really, it's not just James. It's you working through him. Thank you for doing that. Lord, Thank you for the people that you have used in our lives to pursue us and to bring us back. Thank you that they didn't ignore the wandering that they saw in us. They weren't passive, Lord. They, some of us know what it feels like to be, to be pursued and to, and to be rescued. My friends and family members, thank you for them. Lord, help us to walk out that same kind of faithfulness in the lives of the people you've put around us. Not just bringing them back to church, Lord. <laughs> bringing them back to you. We ask in your name. Amen.